Welcome to the Beyond Business Podcast. My name's Charles Mackay, and I'll be your host of this podcast series, where we interview go-getters from technology and service companies, all to here to make the business world a better place. Today, we had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Darren Smith from South Africa. He's the Chief Strategy Officer at Hubble Digital, and he is a valued partner of Sync. Today, we go through topics of digital transformation in the new world, not the world where it didn't work, how divisions are being held back and what those um, divisions are that are challenging. And in the current environment, how important getting your systems, processes and people all on the same page is. Um, which departments have potentially been your biggest hamstring and how technology is such an enabler but can also be a massive disabler too. How is your business being a custodian to itself? So, you know, similar to being a custodian to the land, are you there to uh, improve the land or are you you know taking from the land um, same with your business are you improving it from a sales perspective or a marketing perspective or are you just there to leak uh, reap the profits and that is my little man Archie in the background and he also makes a, an appearance throughout this show so I hope you enjoy it and I can't wait to get into it with you welcome Darren Smith all the way from Cape Town South Africa um, so pleasure to have you on the beyond business podcast um so really looking forward to digging into a little bit of who darren is and where you've come from and what you're working on today so welcome darren yeah thanks so much awesome to be here awesome so before we get into this darren tell us a little bit about your background like obviously you're in south africa where, where did you grow up and um you know rewind a few years for to give us a bit of an understanding yeah yeah so i've so i've always been here in cape town um uh Primarily, I think uh, been stuck here because of my sport. Um, need to need to carry on surfing. Um, so so that's why I haven't left Cape Town. But um, <clears throat> we I do have a global business. So so um, yeah, like working with people around the world and get to travel a huge amount. In terms of in terms of kind of background, um, I finished in school. Going back as far as that. I really had no, I didn't see much value in, in going to study something. I wanted to get my hands dirty and, and actually learn as quickly as possible. Um, so I couldn't identify what I wanted to do. And a lot of friends were at that stage, uh, kind of late 90s doing computer science. And uh, so I signed up with a whole bunch of friends to do a one year computer science degree. Um, and then became a developer, which I absolutely hated. Um, it, was, it was too mundane and too much in front of the computer, um, and and ended up, you know, in a being in the right place at the right time, where um, I was busy building websites for a large telecoms company, and uh, they were they were going through some difficulty, and they immediately um, retrenched uh, their entire marketing team. As companies do, because that's the <clears throat> sorry, that's the that's the team that is perceived to be wasting money, um, mm. and most probably were wasting money. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what, and, what, what, and so what they, era? What era was this in? What year? Um, this was early two thousands, very early two yeah. thousands. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, that, so so the the CEO came to me and said, well. You build websites. That's marketing. Now you're the marketing manager, and um, and suddenly I got like ripped out of like writing lines and lines of code to actually something a lot more um, that I enjoyed. Um, kind of twelve months later, once again in the in a meeting room with a CEO, and uh, and he said, uh, you know, our competitor has grown like this. We haven't grown. What's the problem? So I said, well, you know, we, we actually won an award that year for the first live stream TV ad. Um, uh, we had I'd taken people to the rugby, like everybody was, you know, really loving what I was doing. And he said to me, you know what, we'll pay for you to study marketing. Um, so I went to go and do night classes and weekends and so on, studied marketing. Within the first um, month of that, I knew exactly what I had been doing wrong. Um, you know, I really was just doing what the typical marketer does. They do fun things, they do creative things, but with 
without a, a very good positioning, without a very good value proposition, with a, with a varied positioning. And it also struck me since coming out of that environment, the amount of promotions I've seen where a personal assistant or a events manager and so on has suddenly been promoted and elevated to the role of a CMO or a marketing director and they made, they continually make the exact same mistakes that I made back then, but they're not realizing it. I didn't realize it. I thought I was doing great work. I had won awards and so on. Um, mm. But it wasn't helping with the actual growth of the company. So yeah, so 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 then I ended up uh, working for almost eight years in that in that role. Had a team of about thirty people. Um, uh, wow. What, what did what did the team end up sort of looking like? in the structure and what were they doing? Yeah, so it, it, it was, a, it was uh, like a, a, a team that was structured back then on, on um, their, their line of speciality. So there were events managers, there were PR managers, there were above the line advertising managers, there was digital and everything was in a silo. And mm. my job was to try and come up with programs and campaigns that and then try and make sure that the digital person was doing their digital part of that and it kind of aligned to what the above the line person was doing and what the events person was doing and so on um so like i was I suppose the glue between all those different different teams and then they also those teams had had regional focuses um, yeah and um and and yeah i mean like the 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 end point for me there was was a request for me to move. And as I said, like, I'm not going to move where there are no waves. Um, <laughs> and they wanted me to move to Johannesburg. So that, 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 that wasn't a thing. And then at that point, realizing, you know, out of all the service pro providers that I was working with and being a large, one of the largest brands that I was um, working for, we were working with the most expensive, most well-known, most awarded, most decorated agencies and consultancies, mm. Mm. but every single one of them were still trying to win awards. Uh, they were really not concerned about the outcome of the work that they were doing um, mm. in terms of real business tangible results. Um, and, uh, and so that's what kind of led to, to uh, starting the agency mm. um, because um, I just thought there, 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 there's, there's an opportunity. Yeah. So between that job that you had and then the agency, what didn't you do something in between there before the agency officially started? Yes, yes, I did actually. Um, so I worked um, for a mobile ad company for uh, six, seven months around, around there. Um, mm. it, was, it was eye opening in, in two senses. Um, so the, the company was headquartered out of, out of India and, um, had its, uh, kind of business address out of San Francisco. Um, and what struck me, uh, immediately was I had been a glorified project manager up until that point. Mm. I was incapable of actually doing marketing myself. Everything I did, I briefed an agency. Um, and working for an American style company, um, they asked me to do things hmm. and I had no agencies. I had to do it myself. And yeah. that, that was, that was eye opening. The second thing is selling mobile ads. We were creating such a, such a, a, a buzz around it and jumping onto that kind of, uh, that horse that everybody was talking about, you know, mobile is the next big thing. You have to be in mobile. Um, uh, we were creating so much PR around it, um, uh, reports, that type of thing. Um, but in reality, the only person that I've ever seen click on a mobile ad is my daughter when she's accidentally <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, play a game or something on my phone. Or skip the ad on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I could, like, I've never clicked on one. Well, I did back then because we had to fake clicks because nobody was clicking on it. Um, and we had a table full of, full of um, uh, uh, mobile devices and we'd click on them. Um, and, and, you know, it is, it is uh, 
it's crazy because the 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 media buyers that I had worked with um, up until that point, I thought they really had my business interest at heart when I was a brand. But yeah. what I discovered in this process is as soon as we weren't making targets, which was often because yeah. who buys mobile ads, um, uh, we we would I would put out a a promotion to the media agencies and say, if you book with us within the next three days, we'll give you an extra 10% commission. And suddenly we would hit target. So huh. what I realized in that process is that agencies are actually even less interested in getting results for your business. They are chasing commission. Yeah. So yeah, one of the things that we have done from day one as an agency is we have not taken the 15% or 20% uh, commission on media spend from day one because it promotes bad behavior. I mean, like, to be honest, if, if your targeting is that good, um, should you should be getting, spend. exactly. But yeah. um, all the, and, 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 and if you go and do the Google AdWords certification, everything it tells you is trying to get you to spend more. Um, mm. And, but that, I mean, like Google wants you to spend more. That's how they make their money. So like whenever anybody in my team, they need to have the Google AdWords certification because it's kind of uh, uh, a needed thing being in, 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 in digital. Um, but I always tell them like, okay, you, you learn the tool, learn how, where to click and how to do things, but take it with a pinch of salt. Take it where it comes <laughs> yeah. from. It's coming from, yeah. it's coming from a media company that wants more and more spend. Um, so don't go and do everything that they say uh, like it's it's the it's it's not good for our clients yeah no i totally understand and from the so from that and then you and you and your business partner at the time graham went and started Empool. is that right so did you did you start the agency first or did you build some tech or tell us a little bit about that yeah so so first of all um so what we realized is is our experience, so my, my experience at the telco company was in the business to business division. And um, uh, there were long sales cycles, you know, anything from three months to two years to get a company to switch to use your infrastructure. Um, yeah. and, and so my agencies at the time would give me reports that said, we got this many clicks hmm. on your ad or um, your brand equity increased by Y. Um, and, uh, and I knew that, that uh, because what I used to do is, is every single contact us form that came through our website, I got CC'd on it. And I would look at the inquiries and 99.9% .9 of them were not our target market. They would not mm. be able to afford the services that we offer. Uh, many of them were actual job seekers uh, mm. uh, and, 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 and so on. So like what I wanted to um, uh, uh, work out is true return on investment um, mm. over a long sales cycle. So I wanted, uh, I wanted to find a piece of software that integrated into CRM systems that uh, let you track marketing entirely. And I think it's a typical South African thing. Um, I went out and thought, let's build a piece of software as opposed yeah. to let's do, see what's there already. And uh, so the first business and it was also called Empool. And the idea, I'm like Empool stands for marketing pool, was to pull all your marketing um, from all different angles and all different sources together um, and, uh, and give you that unified view. And there was a a view for a CMO where you essentially have a marketing calendar and you can see, Oh, I've got a press release here in this city today. I've got an event here. I'm running TV ads there and you can get that view. And then you can drill down and see, you know, what contacts have been associated to that campaign and then a link into a CRM and you can see how much did that person spend. Mm. So created this piece of software. Um, this was like kind of 2011, 2012 around there. Um, and, uh, and, uh, nobody bought it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, like we, we, we had a lot of meetings and every marketer loved the idea until we told them that you would have to actually enter information into the software. 
Yeah. And, um, and bearing in mind that I had realized shortly before that, that many marketers are glorified project managers and their agencies do everything for them. They don't want to do work. Um, no. So we had a breakthrough um, with a large financial services company where mm. um, like, we just tried a different angle. Instead of saying that we've got a piece of software, we said, you know, we're going to run you a campaign and we're going to do all the creative and all the execution. And then we're going to give you an amazing report at the end. And they agreed in the meeting to that. And yeah, wow. um, only charged them 10,000 Rand, which didn't even cover my flights there and back <laughs> twice where I had to go out to see them um, and the hotel and that type of thing. But, you know, it was, it was our first customer and, um, and yeah, it actually worked. We, we created an amazing piece of content. Uh, it was a long sales cycle. It took several weeks to nurture the lead. The, there was one, only one out of the, I think they had about 500 leads. One eventually became qualified, mm. but it, they, that, per, that company spent millions in the end. Um, and, and, and essentially what, what we were doing is we were bundling our software in with services. Mm. And so we started to get some traction there. Yeah. Um, but then all the money we were making, we kept on coming up with new idea, ideas and new features for the software. So we still weren't taking a salary because we were paying developers to constantly add new features to our software. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I ended up in a in a in a good coffee uh, meeting with uh, with uh, one of the first employees at Eloqua, and explaining what we were doing. And he said, like, why are you trying to create software when well Eloqua does this already? Uh, Exact Target does something similar. HubSpot does something similar. Um, why don't you just use that software? You can clearly listening to you. You understand this concept more than the average person. Um, and I know that having worked at Eloqua for the last few years, that, that people don't understand, marketers don't know how to do this. They don't understand it. So there's an mm. opportunity for you mm. to sell services. Um, mm. And that's what really kicked off the services where we, we stopped developing our software. We did um, back then, if you look at the MarTech infographic, I think mm. there were 300 or 350 pieces of MarTech on the MarTech infographic. Yeah, a large percentage of those were around media tools like the one that I'd worked at before. Yeah. Um, so I immediately ruled out those because I was not interested in, in media at all, having seen what uh, kind of fast that industry is. Mm. Um, uh, I, I didn't look at the Google Analytics and all those type of analytics tools. I went in, uh, I didn't look at the social media tools because all they do is post social media updates and I didn't see much value in that. Um, and so I went into the marketing automation space, um, the more end-to-end -end marketing tools that did a, did a full audit of, it must have been about eight of them at the time. Mm. And, um, and HubSpot came out as, as, as the top one um, mm. for two, re two reasons. One was the price. So when you compared it to Eloqua, Exact Targets, which is now Salesforce Marketing Cloud, um, uh, I think there was Silver Pop at the time. Uh, I can't remember all the others. Marketo, I think, was already there. Yeah. They, are, they were all really, really expensive. Yeah. Um, uh, and and we, we had been running without salaries, without income for months. We didn't have money. So we went for the cheapest one, which was HubSpot at the time. Mm. Um, subsequently, there's a whole bunch of really really cheap um uh, yeah. systems like shopspring um yeah. and uh, zoho and fresh marketing and that type of thing we've tried them uh, i will not touch them again they're just unreliable and really yeah they don't don't scale yeah. um so we went with hubspot um and and um uh yeah i mean i Nowadays, we do work with some of the other technologies, anything HubSpot and above. Yeah. Um, but, but, but back then, so it was the price. And then the other thing was, was depth of functionality. So still, yeah. a lot of the, the, the people that count themselves as competitors to HubSpot um, are just an email platform or just yeah. an SEO platform or just a landing page platform. 
Um, yeah. I think the, the, the closest competitor to HubSpot is, is Salesforce, but the Salesforce suite, because you, in order to get the equivalent functionality that you get in HubSpot, you need Poddot or Marketing Cloud. You need um, Ad Cloud or Ad Studio, I can't remember what it's called. You need mm. Social Cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, you need Sales Cloud. You need Service Cloud. Yeah. And you need their analytics tool. So that's six pieces of software, all with uh, a, a decent price tag. And one of the things that I've seen Salesforce doing a huge amount in the market is they price match HubSpot yeah. on one of their tools. So they'll say, oh, yeah, okay, you, are you selecting Pardot over HubSpot? Okay, HubSpot's going to charge you, you know, $1,000 for this. We'll match that and we'll charge $1,000. And then yeah. the client signs up because they think, oh, Salesforce. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, three months down the line, they realize, oh, but I also need a, um, you know, to be able to track social media. And, oh, I need to run remarketing ads. And suddenly there's two other pieces of software, also at $1,000 a month. Um, and then they go, oh, well, you know, I actually now that I'm running three pieces of software, I need an analytics tool to see the data because uh, each one only gives reports on its activity. And then you need the analytics add-on. And so, like, I'm still, as you can hear, a massive HubSpot fan. Fan, yeah. Because it is end-to-end, it's integrated, there's no hidden costs. Um, uh, And actually, you know, one of the biggest objections I get around HubSpot, especially selling to more enterprise companies, is, oh, they charge you a price per contact. Yeah. But it is tiered pricing, yeah. Um, so as you, I mean, we've got clients that have, uh, you know, 2 million contacts on, 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 on HubSpot. When you, the, the, the thought of paying $10 per thousand, um, mm. completely freaks people out. But when you actually compare it to the cost of five or six pieces of software yeah, that don't nothing. have, that don't have contact tiers like at Salesforce versus this, it is still way cheaper. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a perception that yeah. um, that often needs to be um, yeah. broken down. Yeah. So, so that like that journey, it all, it's it's amazing how it's all flowed in, and it flows beautifully, and how your <laughs> lessons and learnings have flowed through. So, starting out like when you the problem you're trying to solve was to pretty much stitch all of these departments and silos together and bring it all into one. What what are you starting to see now? Like that was the initial problem, but what is the problem what are the problems now that you're seeing as it's evolved you know it's nearly 10 years since you started and um you know working with so many brands and agencies around the world what are the problems that you're starting to see now and where you're trying to focus your time yeah so so what we've seen is is um there's increasing mistrust in marketing still even though marketing can 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 be measured um, especially if you're using a tool like this, um, a, a huge amount of companies have adopted some form of content marketing. Yeah. Um, and as a result, you know, a content marketing formula is to be very, um, you know, do not push your brand, give true advice, give honest yeah. advice. Yeah. But stitch your brand and your messaging into the story anyway. So, what can you believe in what you read anymore? Because you know that it's been written either by a journalist that has been taken to an event and has been kind of brainwashed a little bit or by a copywriter that's been hired by a firm or an agency. So they may tell you that here are the 10 best cities to go and visit. And nine of them really are. But the 10th one is Sydney and, uh, and, they've been hired by the city Sydney tourism authority, you know, like, like you can't, you, you can't trust it. And, and, and I still think it needs to be done. It's very mm. important. It's very important mm. for search. Um, more and more people are remote working now. Um, they, uh, they do online research um, more and more people have global um, teams. Um, there's no longer with everybody having experienced remote working. Um, you know, people have realized, well, you know what? I don't need somebody in my city that I can see. Um, mm. Suddenly the talent pool's increased, but now totally. that means that it's not so easy for somebody to pick up the phone or even use a chat, live chat and be like, hey, how does this product work or does it do this or that? 
content and content marketing has become even more important, mm. but it's uh, like, it is not entirely trustworthy. So yeah. what I'm seeing is, is the, the, the brands that are winning are winning on building amazing end-to-end customer experiences mm. um, that are so amazing that people tell their colleagues, people tell their friends, um, their family, um, they move jobs and go back to that company. Um, and so marketers have to spend less of their time uh, uh, creating ads and content and, uh, and, and, and that type of thing and really being the catalyst for massive change in an organization. You can't say on, on, an, on an ad that, you know, you're, you guarantee delivery within 24 hours and then somebody orders and they get it 72 hours later because yeah. your, your strategist at the, at the ad agency said that there's an insight that people like instant delivery. So you just put that on your box and just hoped in the background, like a better strategy would be to not say anything and somehow work out how to do a delivery in 12 hours and absolutely yeah. blow the customer away. And yeah. then they will tell your, their friends and, and, and so on. So it comes like, so, so, so where we've kind of pivoted the agency to, and I, I actually call it more of a consultancy now, um, mm. is to identify end-to-end customer journeys. Mm. So from acquisition of customers to onboarding of customers, to retention of customers, to servicing those customers, like um, as a marketer, how can we, um, make sure that there's no friction, that we move, remove red tape. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm even shocked, you know, HubSpot's preach the stuff as well. Um, and, uh, and I asked them for something the other day and they said, oh no, no we can't do that because we don't, the internal process uh, doesn't allow us to do that. I was like, yeah. well, how can you be customer first, customer centric <laughs> organization if you say you can't do that because of an internal process? So, yeah. so much of the marketer's work is moving from being, um, you know, just these guys that create ads and value propositions to actually having yeah. to Ch- like, change, uh, change, change a business. Yeah, exactly. They, uh, I suppose they go in beyond business um, uh, to, yeah. to, to actually make a significant change. And then word of mouth, you know, so, so what happens, you know, faster and faster you see brands a, a, a new thing launches especially in digital mm-hmm. um you know tiktok launches it the the, the brands that, that succeed are the brands that get there first because mm-hmm. within weeks the audience the customers of tiktok the users of tiktok have mm-hmm. worked out how to zone out or tune out from ads some mm-hmm. developer has developed a little app to block the ads um, yeah. you know that that, that 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 type of thing so your window of opportunity is so small because consumers do not want to be marketed to like that um, and and so the, the only marketing that will ever stand the test of time is word-of-mouth marketing and mm. the only way you're going to get somebody to talk about you isn't by going to an agency that does viral campaigns like many would think it's about mm absolutely delighting those customers um mm. so that they organically talk about you mm. and especially at an environment they're in we're in now that you know that's more prevalent than ever um what are you finding with the you know going from this transition where you're literally end-to-end customer where's most of the friction you're seeing within organizations is it that marketing and no longer fluffy, but they, you know, that maybe the CEO doesn't want to have to destroy all of that as other divisions to make that change. Like, where are you seeing those friction points? Um, I'm seeing a huge friction in technology. Um, mm. It is so difficult. In order to to really delight a customer, you you need a single customer view. Mm. If a if a customer engages with you. Um, on whatever, whether they live chat, whether they phone, um, you, you need to know who they are, what they bought, what problems they've had before, what's their lifetime value to you, um, that that type of thing, and you need to be able to 
respond to their requests quickly. Quickly, but if yeah. you have you have to open five or six or seven different systems, some of which are not cloud-based, um, uh, that aren't, aren't integrated, sometimes have different customer reference numbers, um, uh, uh, that you, it, it just is a complete blocker to mm. amazing customer experience. So, mm. you know, many, many, uh, you know, analyst organizations like Gartner and Forrester and, and that type of thing, have predicted for years that marketers will spend more on technology than mm. the IT organization. Yeah. And, and, and this is, this is kind of what's kind of happening. Marketers are becoming more and more um, involved in technology because the, often the IT guys, um, and I was an IT guy, but they are, you know, stuck in their ways. They decide, totally. Oh, what, you know, we are a Microsoft house, right? Yeah. Um, and they won't like they won't consider anything else. They haven't moved on to say we're going to use best of breed technology. They just completely switched off for that. They're like we're going to use Microsoft. Now mm. Microsoft Outlook might be great. Um, Excel might be amazing, um, but you know SharePoint is terrible. <laughs> um, Microsoft Dynamics is the worst piece of software I've ever seen in my life. Have you ever yeah. tried to use that thing? Um, yeah. uh, it's like a desktop application most of the time. There's a cloud version, but, but wow, like it is ugly. It is slow. It is complicated. Yeah. The, yeah. the interface is horrible. It adds no value to the salesperson that's trying to use it as an example. Yeah. But the IT guy is going, no, no, we must be a Microsoft house. Um, so the, 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 like there's huge friction that then develops between marketing and between IT and that's like in the end the person that's impacted is the end customer and that's when right. the end customer is impacted they then go well screw that instead of working with um with you know this old school organization like an, an accountant is an amazing example of this i'm going to switch to zero because zero yeah. is completely cloud-based i can buy it with my credit card it's easy to use it integrates with a whole bunch of things um you know like with the microsoft products like they don't have restful APIs, most of them. You have to be a .NET developer if you want to integrate with them. Like yeah. that is that is like kind of dinosaur uh, kind of thinking. Um, but it exists in many of the organizations around the world today. And, and um, you know, I think that's where you're going to start seeing, um, you know, uh, these organizations that you think are large yeah yeah and they're not agile, not agile enough they're not ripping it out and going you know what and the young guys are going to come in and go you know what we can do it faster cheaper more efficiently um and better yeah 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 absolutely i've been i've been uh reading in um recently um uh infinity games by simon sinek um and uh, he has a he, he he writes there about i can't remember the exact time but the average uh, age or, or age expectancy of an organization has dropped by decades. Mm. Um, wow. And, and, and the, the other thing, you know, that I've taken out from that book is many of these old school organizations are absolutely obsessed with these fictitious um, uh, kind of uh, time periods that they have invented like a quarter or a month or a year like, how did we do? What was our revenue? What did our, what was our growth? What was our profit? Um, yeah. And they chase that. Um, and, and, and as a, as a result, they're not thinking about the future enough. Like how many CEOs, um, I'm paraphrasing what Simon Sinek is, is, says here, but how many CEOs measure themselves on the innovations that they have launched in their time as CEO um, that has ensured that the company is going to be there for for the next decade. Um, most of them go, well, in the seven years that I was here, we grew EBITDA by this. Like, yeah. okay, great. Why did you pick seven years? Because um, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. what, happens, what happens next year when you leave and because you did not ever think about, you know, how customers are changing and, uh, and uh, the new set of competitors you didn't even yeah. knew you had, that the following year you basically crash and die. Totally. I, th I think it's a similar thing to like with land and being the custodian of land. Like you never actually own it. You're realistically there on it for a period of time. So if you are running a business, 
you're a custodian of it. You're not, you're not there to keep it forever. Um, and if you yeah. come in and just drive profits for three years and hit all these records and then two years later you've left, reality is that should be seen as a failure. Um, yeah, exactly. That's ama- yeah, it's amazing um, you know, listening to you talk and how you know, things have pivoted and have changed and evolved. Like, and I agree that the departments that you've worked in have been the change makers and innovators for sure. From when you, st- you guys started, to where you're at today like what's what's that vision look like to now what has actually played out how how different has it been and what's that journey been like yeah it's 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 it is very very different to what we what we thought was going to happen um you know as, as as i said in the beginning we we thought we were going to be a software company we are now we don't we resell software essentially but we are a services company um no, it uh, when we started, there was uh, there was three hundred pieces of marketing software available. Mm. Today, there's eight thousand. Yeah. So many of the the um, ways that I thought the agency would make money are now being um, replaced by a piece of software that does it better, that uses artificial intelligence and algorithms and all that type of thing to get better targeting, better insights, better everything, and, and um, at a fraction of the price. So as an example, you know, you know, I know some agencies that used to charge, uh, in terms of RAND terms, like 120,000 RAND for a landing page. Mm. Now, you can buy HubSpot for $800 a month, and you drag and drop and create a landing page. So, you know, a lot of software has eaten the revenue that mm. I was expecting to get. Um, mm. And, uh, and so, yeah, the, the it, it, it is a, a, a difficult place to be in as a, as a, as a consultancy, as an agency. So we've pivoted a huge amount from like kind of doing a lot of the work to, you know, the consulting part, the thinking and giving yeah. advice and input yeah. because yeah. Like even if you take websites as an example, there are hundreds of thousands of website templates available out there today. Um, where and how different can a website possibly look from each other? Um, you know, there's always going to be a navigation. There's always going to be a hero. There's always going to be a footer. There's always going to be you know, yes, you get some amazing creatives, and and I still I still think that there's an absolute place for that. But for many companies it's not necessary to have this um, really, really fancy website. Mm. Um, and, and, but what they've, they, they go the cheap route of selecting a website template, but then they don't invest the time and effort in working out what should be on that page. Why should it be there? How are we going to convert? Like, you know, mo- like is customer acquisition their number one thing? Um, uh, or is servicing existing customers the number one thing, or are they equal? And mm-hmm. is your website, if it built is equal, that. yeah, built for that? So, so people don't. They 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 go. They get a copywriter to write copy. Uh, they drag and drop some modules, and they go. Da da. Here's my here's my website, but it doesn't perform um, because it they did not follow that strategy piece. So the agencies pivoted or the consultancy pivoted a huge amount mm. to do a lot more thinking and consulting work. And then yes, if you need us to execute, we'll execute. Um, yeah. But otherwise you can do it yourself or you can find a super cheap freelancer. So we now compete in a huge amount against freelancers, um, which I never anticipated uh, when, when, when we started. And mm. freelancers are an interesting um, competitor because where I'm trying to build a long-term sustainable business that yes, makes a profit. You're allowed to make a profit. Um, uh, and, and I'm trying to hire people that are the best. And as a result, um, uh, you know, I need to hire managers to do things that that the talent that that doesn't like doing and so on. We need premises, although we reconsidering that at the moment. Um, uh, and, 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 and so on. So there's a whole bunch of additional expenses. Um, 
pretty much you take somebody's salary and and we need to make two and a half times more than what their salary is but a freelancer only needs to make the money they want to make for that month their salary yeah, yeah. and they have they're working from home they have no additional expenses so often that is lower than what they would expect if they were working for an employer mm. um, and so they take if they put a hundred billable hours in the month which means they only have to work five hours a day um, uh, and they want to make you know five thousand dollars for the month they divide that that gets their hourly rate and it is a fraction of what a consultancy or an agency charges yeah. and that's although there's using freelancers and so on um, there's a risk because they may disappear they may get a really nice contract and, and pay you less attention um, they may get sick whatever um, uh, you know if our rate is three times that some some customers say oh well you know even if they get it wrong three times or have to redo it three times it's still cheaper than than working I think there's another part of it too, which is the freelancer doesn't get, which is that collaboration piece. So, you know, when you go into real problem solving as a business and you've got a really complex thing to put all of that on one person is really hard. So that's where, you know, the power of collaboration and um, getting multiple people in a room or multiple people around the world to solve that problem really shows the value to just having a freelancer do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I'm a huge huge fan of t-shaped people that know a lot of stuff uh but only a little bit of each thing yeah. um i believe they make the most amazing salespeople because they yeah. can identify opportunity um and i think they make the most amazing project managers and and high level um kind of uh consultants but um they like they need to work with specialists and know when to pull in specialists that can go deep um, and their job is to keep that person on that on the vision on the on the it's because it's so easy for somebody that goes deep to suddenly go down a rabbit hole and lose lose track yeah. so it's the t-shaped person that needs to manage that yeah and reality is you can't be a t-shape without coming through specializing in something going very deep in it and then maybe jump into yeah. something else. You've got to have experience across everything to become T-shaped. So um, I think that's, you know, what, you know, when the T-shaped sort of stuff came out a couple of years ago, people just jumped into it without knowing what they were doing in other divisions. And I think yeah. that probably found out a lot of people in that space going from a traditional marketing agency to going, oh, now we're going to do this. But you've had never done any of that. So you need to go and learn a lot about it before you can just become a T. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah. I absolutely agree with your point. Um, you know, it's sort of like if you looked at an apprenticeship, I think today in business, it would be working through a whole business through every division. It wouldn't be going and just learning a trade and doing one thing. Um, and I can probably, I can, you know, reflect that in my career a bit that I've worked in so many different divisions and departments because then you've got an understanding of how the business works. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I yeah, and that T-shape, I'm like, it, it, it is, it is incredibly important as a, as a, as a coordinator, coordinating role, because what I see with a lot of agencies still, and it completely blows me away that they still operate like this, um, and it is they have um, different departments, um, and the salesperson goes and closes something, and then that work gets divided up so that paid media department gets the paid media portion and the social media part department gets that and the, and the inbound marketing department gets that and they all end up being doing this amazing work in their little areas but it, it, it mm. sometimes conflicts with each other yeah. i mean like the paid media the paid media person often ends up buying only bottom of final keywords and 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 displaying bottom of final ads where the inbound department might be looking at how can we address the goals and challenges um, in in top of final customer acquisition journeys and then they don't spend any paid media and they wonder why it's not performing because they're relying completely on on seo and 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 organic ranking which is a long-term strategy which you know you shouldn't expect to get any results for less than 18 months 
um, and, uh, and, and then they decide, oh, well, this thing isn't working for us and they switch it off. But mm. that's so many, I see so many agencies um, that have these siloed departments and have absolute experts that can go deep in there. But, and, and, and post-sale, there's not a T-shaped person involved that goes, hey, hold on, this is the whole campaign and program we run in. We need paid here and we need it like this and we need uh, you know, social like this and don't do it like this. And what's the point of buying that keyword where we spend in money when we are already number one for that keyword, I'd rather <laughs> redirect, uh, yeah. uh, uh, spend somewhere else. Yeah, totally. Or put it into some brand, you know, advertising. If your competitors are outbidding you, put it at the top. So at least then, you know, people that don't know anything about ads will click on your brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So going and looking back at, um, I suppose the journey you've been on, especially getting into this MarTech environment, what would be a, a tip for someone that's getting started in it or, you know, looking to, you know, enroll their business to go, we want to go through a transformation. What would be the one tip you would recommend? Um, so I think it relates to analytics. And I know that I said just now that you shouldn't have ARB numbers that you that you kind of track in against or measuring yourself against, but you do need to be tracking yourself. Like yeah. you don't need to use that as a way to, to kind of pat yourself on the back. But if you're not measuring something like then you don't know how it's performing. And one of the biggest objections I've had when talking to um, marketers around um, MarTech is they're worried that, Oh, everything's going to be tracked. Then, the company's going to see that for the last few years, everything that I've done um, was bad. Mm. Um, and I'm like, well, rather find that out now and, and make a change than totally. carry on doing these bad things. Um, so like analytics is not only ads and clicks and social media likes and leads. You know, you need to, you need to look at, at, you need to identify many different ways of, of measuring. It might be number of widgets produced in a day or cash flow reserves or you know, all the different things that you need to analyze um, in order to check the health of your business mm. and be able to make informed decisions. And you know, all strategy is, a, is essentially crystal ball staring. You, know, you look into the crystal ball and you, based on your, on your history, your experience, you make well-educated assumptions and guesses that mm. if we do this or if we do that or if we change here, um, it will have a positive impact. But you know, you need to then test that, and you need to be able to. Uh, once you've learned, did that work? Did that not work? Then pivot that and pivot that and pivot that. Um, so you do need to focus on, mm. on. You do need to be measuring numbers, and as soon as you identify what are those numbers I need to measure you will suddenly realize that the systems that are in place are incapable of giving you those numbers, which then yeah. leads you down, uh, I need to do a complete system refresh or integration projects. Um, once you've got the numbers, um, then, you, then you can start rolling out programs and campaigns and all that type of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, start with the analytics is my, mm. is my ultimate tip. I um I couldn't agree more with you about that and you know the fact that you can see a lot of people will come in and the first thing they'll probably do is a, a you know a brand refresh or a, a update this or update that and then they won't go to the core of the numbers and whether it's a generational thing or not I'm not sure but you know as as kids well I remember vividly sport and and you know you get a you get you, everyone knew what their result was and what their time was and you would write it down and next year you would see if you'd improved or next month you'd see if you'd improved. Um, but whether people are fearful of that, I'm not sure. But the, like reality is the only way to move forward is if you're tracking what you're doing. Um, yeah. And if you're not tracking it or well, you're not going to move forward. Um, so I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So over the, you know, nearly 10 years, yeah, nearly 10 years now, what's, um, what's been something that you've looked back at and gone, you know, wow, that was something that was amazing successful that you, you know you're proud of as well um that you will remember through this journey mm, mm, mm. yeah you know i think um there's 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 been many of those moments um for me like 
one of the overarching things um, has been to get inspiration from the different pieces of software that we use and the different suppliers and, and different um, gurus out there. Mm. Um, but, but we've absorbed that, we've acknowledged that, and then we have um, built our own frameworks, our own methodologies, and we've innovated ourselves. Mm. Um, and so we just, yeah, we constantly innovate in. Um, and what I see in particular in the HubSpot ecosystem is partners sign up with HubSpot and then they do the HubSpot Academy and then they take that as, as the only way. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of that, um, those methodologies and so on are created by people that have never been in professional services before. They, totally. they are a software sales uh, com company. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and, and, I mean, like many other things are absolutely brilliant. So don't get me wrong. Um, but, but, you know, the, 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 so many partners have, are just sheep and they just follow in um, what, what the software company is saying. And it's mm. the exact same as, as Google. Google's trying to sell more media. HubSpot is trying to sell more licenses. Um, mm. You know, you go take what they're saying with a pinch of salt. And if you mm. really, really understand your customers' problems, um, challenges, the macro environment, the uh, micro environment, if you really understand digital, um, uh, if you really understand CRM and service, then you can develop your own products and services and methodologies and frameworks. And I think, you know, that's, a, that's an element of, of, of pride for me in that we haven't um, just copied. But, yeah. you know, the, 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 the thing that's, that's, that um, makes me most proud around that is is that we didn't do this on purpose i think it's just built into our dna as the yeah. original founders um but but we it's actually become part of our employee value proposition um in that we've got employees that may have moved on gone to different agencies gone to brands um and and we've got other agencies and consultancies that try and poach our employees on a daily basis. Mm. But we've got such loyalty from past employees and existing employees mm. because we innovate and, mm. and we question the status quo and we, mm. we do things our own way. Um, and and it, it, uh, it uh, stimulates them um, because otherwise they're just following a playbook. Um, mm. And so, um, yeah, the thing that makes me most proud is is being is ha is having bought built that kind of uh, um, uh, that value proposition to the employees and being able to create mm. such a loyal group of employees um, mm. as a result of that. As I said, I can't. I don't think we can take absolute credit for that because I think it was something that was just ingrained in my DNA <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, yeah. Um, it wasn't something that we purposely set out to do, but it is uh, uh, something that's ended up happening. That is that I think yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And the, you know, that challenging the status quo. It's interesting actually because we've all had to do it and go through a lot of certifications. And there's one at the minute that I disagree with a lot of it. Um, it's built by someone that has. Um, he's a very probably highly intelligent person, but very theoretical it's just not practical at all and we're going into a practical world now where you've got to be a doer um it's not a it's not so much of it you know do and learn and execute or do learn execute you know put it around in a circle um you know if you think all day and don't execute you're just never going to move especially today um and some of the stuff that's coming out is very theoretical um so yeah i and but you know being obviously working with you guys for so long the innovation and change you guys are at the forefront of that so um i think it's awesome um so just starting to bring this to the ground um you know it's been awesome chatting with you darren the what's what's some things like we're in obviously really challenging times there's a lot of crazy stuff going on but what are some you know a couple of things that you're really looking forward to and have a positive outlook for that's keeping you going in these times yeah i'm mean, like i feel like everybody's saying this but i think it does ring true in that we're in digital, we're in, 
you know, building amazing customer experiences, um, uh, which involves technology and building applications and uh, building customer journeys and automation and, 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 and so on. And um, I feel that, that not like, although the concept of digital transformation has been around for years and years and years, I think a lot mm -hmm. of people have given it lip service and have it, it, it really didn't work it didn't work though it now actually works <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean I, i'm seeing some of the tools and stuff that we put in place which weren't actually being used properly because it was easier to just go over to somebody's desk and be like hey like uh you can now do the next step in the process because i've done my step but mm. that person that you've just interrupted may have had their mind somewhere else completely they forget that you've now told them and mm. um, or you send them an email mm. and then by accident they they mark it as read and they've got a rule that all read emails go to a certain folder or something and and these things get that's where you drop the ball and then the customer has a negative customer experience mm. so i i feel that that I'm excited because I think many companies are going to invest in digital. Um, mm. They are, um, uh, you know, I, I prefer doing business online. I don't want to have to speak to somebody. Um, I'd rather self-serve. Um, mm. So that's my preference. Um, mm. I think others are going to get it. So I think as a company, I'm excited that that opportunity is going to, going to, going to come, come around. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, the world for me is going to change. This is going to, you know, uh, people were remote working and so on. They're suddenly going to realize that, hey, this is, this is actually um, pretty, good. <laughs> uh, pretty good. And, and it actually works. And all those fears that we had that people are going to sit at home and watch Netflix, actually, they carried on working and they probably delivered more. So we don't have to micromanage our employees. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's failed for many companies. People are watching Netflix because of the culture they've created and that type yeah. of thing. But yeah. I think that like, those are the type of companies that aren't going to survive. Those are the type of companies that still use like the Microsoft suite of products because they believe that is the thing yeah. that they should be doing. And um, it's too slow. Yeah. 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 And so the other thing that really excites me is, is part of what I do with organizations is in their digital transformation journeys, I say, okay, how can we how can we do this if there's no email, right? Mm. Because email is is the you know your processes are only as strong as the weakest point, and email is your weakest point. And because um, if you have three thousand emails because you've got a notification, an alert, uh, you've been added or whatever, um, it is it is a point of failure. As is Slack and all the other instant messaging platforms and so on, like what you need to be doing is building um, processes and systems and then building a routine that says, mm. oh, every day at nine o'clock, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna check my folder for you know, new installation requests. Yeah. Um, and then I'll check again in three hours. And then I'm gonna go and I'm gonna check my, this system. And so you actually build a rhythm and routine that is not reliant on uh, alerts and email that like eat up. So besides traffic and everything that we save in ourselves by remote working, the other thing is if you have into, even if you just view the email and mark it as read, it still has taken a few seconds to do that. And if you have mm. 200 of those because you have 200 alerts, um, mm. you know, that ends up being 15 mm. minutes and then you go and check the news sites and the sports sites and that type of thing. And next thing, it's two hours gone, and mm. you haven't actually achieved anything. Totally. So um, I'm I, I'm excited to get rid of email. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fascinating, actually. I know, um, you know, in my previous life, having been in IT, um, there's a guy who developed some software that he the way he used to explain in his sales process was just look out on your floor of IT people and how many people are there standing behind someone with a shoulder tap, and he's like. So that's that person to shoulder tap, then the person at the desk to shoulder tap times that by 365 days of the year and how many staff you've got. It's like thousands and thousands of hours. <laughs> um, and then that's IT, which is generally run quite efficiently and smart. You throw that into a normal business, it's going to be like 50x that. <laughs> um, yeah, 
a, a ter terrible analogy, but it's, it sounds like how the coronavirus spreads, right? Yeah, but yeah. That's why you need a lock, lockdown, get everybody away from email and shoulder taps, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they'll become efficient. <laughs> It's probably not a bad headline for the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Darren. It's been, uh, it's been great to get to chat to you. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate your time. Cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks so much.